morning. You know how, uh, anybody have like a really bratty kid? Okay, cool. Uh, you know how God has a sense of humor in regards to like our kids? Uh, it was two years ago, like right now, pretty much, uh, the Eret household decided to uh, take an adventure and um, continue to be wannabe farmers. And um, uh, <laughs> we're in Acts 10 through 12, by the way, and John 21, if you want to go ahead and get ready for that. Um, and we decided to take on a couple pigs. And this was two years ago. And I'll never forget this day as long as I live. Not because of the pigs, um, but uh, <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing uh, in any regards to life in general. But specifically that day, uh, we were putting these pigs in the barn. And wow, it was a bit overwhelming. We put them in where they needed to go in the stall and... Um, um, I never forget, as long as I live, I l- walked out of the barn and like mud boots on. I'm like thinking, this is not for me. I don't know. Walking up to the house. I'm about halfway to the house and my wife's walking out of the house towards me. And I noticed that she's uh, crying and I noticed that she's visibly upset. And um, she meets me about half way down the driveway and we're about five six no maybe 10 feet away it's it's funny now then it wasn't funny uh 10 feet away or so uh and she was walking towards me crying I'm thinking literally thought like who who died Um, who who passed away and um she looks at me and she just stops I'm like is it the pig she smells like what is it like why are you stopping and then I realized like, she's mad. And then I'm like, shoot, what did I do? Like, this is all happening within a split second. And at this point, we had four children. We were good with that. Like, that was exciting. We're all in for that. And um, we had decided that we were going to have four children. Um, and then she looks at me, and she stops with tears coming down her eyes. All of a sudden, won't come near me, and she says, I'm pregnant. You <laughs> and like, as a guy, like the first thing you want to do is like fix it or like, well, like that happened later, but like, <laughs> I, that's funny. That was good. Like fix the problem, fix the, the, the situation, not, yeah, fix the situation. So uh, I'm like trying to step closer to her and she's like, she's kind of like, mm-mm, mm-mm. It walks back to the house, and here I am, like the most hopeless guy just standing there in the middle of the driveway, like, oh, man. And I'm thinking in my head, like, literally, this is my thought, like, thank you, Lord. This is awesome. So exciting. We have another child. Yay. Like, she'll get over it, like, soon. <laughs> like, thinking, thinking hours or days. And some of you that know uh, Brianne, and I don't, like, ever call her out. Um, or like bring her up here and have her tell stories or anything like that. But just so you know, if you know Brian, you know that the next like three months of 
life was an extremely difficult. Um, not only like the mentality of like, here we go again, but like the mentality of she was so, so sick. Like bedridden, horribly sick, like and mad, and like legitimately mad at me. Uh, I, I mean, scientifically, um, never mind. Uh, but this process ensued of like, okay, all right, Lord, this is, this is, this is, we don't get it, but we're all in, like this is, we're going to go ahead, and, and, and obviously, uh, nine months later, so this was two years ago when this exchange happened, and then, and then, uh, nine months later, Mabel was born, uh, she had some, uh, difficulties at the beginning, you prayed, God, God healed, God did some amazing things, and she's been doing great, and it's, she's, and, uh, we love her. <laughs> she has been a hard baby. Like, when I say a difficult baby, she's cried so much. Like, huh, so much. Like, it's just been very, very difficult. But it's that thing. It's that thing. I mean, like, you're like, all right, I can't wait for her to crawl. I can't wait for her to roll. I can't wait for her to start getting, like, that baby chunk. And, like, and, like, and then you're like, I can't wait for her to walk. I can't wait for her to... to to begin to talk and like and she's at the stage now or she's what 15, 14 15 months and she's like walking and like kind of trying to talk and it's hilarious she's the funniest little girl but here's the thing she goes into every room and if you've got babies then you know that this is like it's not out of the ordinary she goes in every room and she's opening drawers taking everything out like we're in the kitchen the other morning and she opens the drawer, and she's emptying everything. I mean, there's potholders, there's cups, there's plates. There's, it's the whole thing is covered. And then she comes to this new, this drawer where all the, be- like, sandwich baggies are. And we had just bought, like, all these. And she's just, like, literally throwing them all over the kitchen floor. And she's standing there, like, tripping over it. And I'm tripping over it. I'm trying to get breakfast or something ready. And literally, I'm filled with frustration, like, frustration like are you serious so like if you're a parent like are you like you don't like it's cute now and and I'm really the idiot of the story when I'm getting upset about this but in the moment you're like are you kidding me like this is ridiculous I didn't yell at her anything like that but I, I was looking down and I'm just like oh Mabel come on and she did something that changed the whole course of that moment of my emotion she did this she goes eh I went and told Brie, like, it was amazing. It was so, like, I grabbed her, and she's not a cuddly baby at all. And she was, like, oh, I'm like, oh, it's okay. The mess is just fine. <laughs> like, here's the thing, though. Like, I, I feel like uh, <laughs> that arm reach, that noise, that posture changed everything. And I feel like today maybe that needs to be our posture to our Heavenly Father. Maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you need to do that. But here, here's, the, here's the, the, the bullseye moment in that, is that God's not um, stressed about your mess. He's not looking around at your life, and he's not like, are you kidding me? This is so frustrating. He's not walking back in your entire life and in, even in your conception and be like, oh man, I can't believe this is happening. Like, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. Um, 
actually has nothing to do with my message. I just was thinking about that coming up. Um, <laughs> but maybe somebody need to hear that. Um, today we are talking about Peter. Uh, Peter is the pioneer that we're focusing on. We hear a lot about, uh, about Peter in the vintage church, in the early church, in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12. Pastor Cameron last week walked us through the, uh, essentially the dinner party that happened. It literally changed every one of our lives in a roundabout way. Uh, this gospel, this, this great commission from just the Jews and ceremonially, uh, probably that's not the best word, metaphorically brought it to the Gentiles, brought it to the rest of the world through that exchange, through that step. Now Jesus had said it back at the beginning of Acts, we studied in chapter 1, that, that you will be my witnesses, um, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. This includes the Jews and the Gentiles. If you're not sure what Gentile is, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. So if you're not a, uh, uh, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. And so essentially, this meant that the good news of the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins, and all that God is and has for us is now for the Gentiles as well. And this began at this point. This began at this point because all up until this point, this, the Jewish culture was a picture of God's covenant and love of salvation for us. It's the picture of what God used in order to communicate the gospel. So and even in Acts chapter uh, 10, 11, and 12, with his uh, dinner, with his exchange with Cornelius, um, with his vision, with him following through and processing what it looks like to, to go to bat for the Gentiles, that all can be saved, um, that all can have redemption. It, it, it had everything to do with that exchange, with that vision. When the Gentiles heard the good news. And even in verse 44, chapter 10, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, means Jew, essentially, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he's bringing everybody to an even plane. Like, that this Jesus, this gospel is for all. This baptism is is for all. This communion with the Holy Spirit is for all. They can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. In the next couple chapters, it talks about how God's amazing plan for this vintage church goes forward. The way that this country, the United States of America, has been established, there's many things that brought it to, its, to being established. But one of the most exciting things about the story of our country is the pioneers. It's Lewis and Clark. It's guys that literally, not just them, many, many others, that forged ahead and went to explore what's over the next mountain. They were pioneers. And in this moment, 
Peter is the pioneer that charts the next mile, that climbs the next mountain. And God uses that. He works in that. And he uses this guy named Peter, even later named the first pope, which I don't get into that necessarily, but like he went on to be arguably the, the most prominent Christian leader. He, even the word Christian wasn't used until this in, in chapters 11 and 12 at the church of Antioch. The word Christian was first, that's when they first were called Christians. And at the helm, the, 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 the shepherd, the pastor, at the head of all of that, and all of his pioneering, was Peter. Now, Peter went on to lead an amazing life. And even a, a tragic death that left ri- a, a ripples to the rest of the world. That even you and I still feel the effects of every, and, and we have to be grateful for it, every day of our lives. But Peter was the one that pioneered. But here's the thing, like in all this story, in all that he did in Antioch, in all that, in chapter 12, you're going to read how Peter is rescued and how he's delivered from prison. Miraculously, an angel comes, and after Peter's, why, why was Peter arrested? Again, remember, they're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was not okay. This was not okay to the point where people were being killed, they were being imprisoned. James, the brother of Jesus in this chapter, was killed. Peter wasn't killed in that moment, but he was arrested. And he was sleeping between two guards. An angel came, and they, he took Peter, and he led him out of the prison. Gates says that, that gates were opened miraculously without any help. He leaves, and it goes on just to tell the story of his escape. It tells the story of not even him like, planning it out or carving a, like a hole in the wall with a spoon over a 20-year period of time and then crawling through a sewage pipe and him and Morgan Freeman are free. Like, that wasn't his pathway. God opened the doors. Why? Because he wasn't done with Peter. And he knew that just like Paul, that he was going to use him even if he was in a jail cell. If you held the, like the better part of the New Testament, guys, if you, like literally, like most of it is written by Paul, which we've been hearing about a lot lately. Paul, most of those letters were written from a prison cell. So like just because he was in prison didn't mean that he wasn't going to be used, like that he was out of the game. But God had a different purpose. He wanted him out. So he got him out. God has a purpose on your life. He will move heaven and earth to make that happen. Um, so there's all these defining moments in Peter's life that are like really fun to celebrate and like really good on a resume. Like they're really, wow, dude, bro. Broke out of prison? Okay, you didn't use a spoon. That's awesome. You, you preached. You preached in front of the entire Jewish council and you you essentially dropped the mic and you told them that there's no other power outside the name of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And that this gospel will go forward even if you got to kill me. Like there's all these things. He started these churches. He built up these leaders. He encouraged and he breathed into and he pioneered the vintage church. He pioneered this great gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is what he did. These are the defining moments that are so amazing. But I want to argue today for Peter 
that these defining moments weren't truly defining moments in his life. The defining moments in our life maybe isn't, it's not necessarily what looks good on a resume. What are the defining moments in your life? What are the defining moments? Just, just in your own head, rather than having a few of you answer, like think of some right now in your, own, in your own mind. Who are the defining moments that made you who you are, that set the path, maybe like cut off the path, maybe put you in a different direction, but like there were defining moments in your life. Sometimes these defining moments... But most of the time, as we, we talked about last night at Conduit North, some of these defining moments are amazing, like exciting. They're great. They're highlights. Um, last night, some people mentioned that the defining moment in their life was when their child was born. Absolutely, right? How amazing is that? Or, or the day that they walked to an altar and they... They got married. Like this is defining moments. Or the day they graduated uh, college, or the day they graduated high school, or the day that they got that job, they landed that sale, they they got that house, they built that thing, they they heard that they got the phone call, said that they were cancer free, or or whatever it was for them. Those defining moments that seem so glorious that like we would we'd we'd put on on Facebook or we'd put on the screen, and, like it's something to celebrate. But I would argue that actually the defining moments are the ones that you don't necessarily want to put on the screen. They're those dark moments, the difficult, the hurtful moments. I used an analogy last night, briefly, uh, back a long time ago in high school. Um, I went to a really small Christian school, Podunk, Southern Illinois. Um, nothing, certainly, to, to, like, to like write home about. But being in a small Christian school, uh, <laughs> like when you tried out for the basketball team, you, there's no like, there's no cuts, right? <laughs> I'm on the team, yes. I even started. There's like five guys in high school in the high school, but it's cool, you know. And and uh, I've been telling my sons stories because they're like obsessed with with uh, with basketball and, and sports in general in this moment. How many of you guys are watching March Madness? Um, even though your team may be out. Um, if, you're, if you're a Duke fan, don't come back. Um, just kidding. I don't really care about that. Um, but there's this excitement, and so my boys have been asking these stories, and, and, and there is a story, these two stories that, that always stick out in and, and, and my head. When I was in 10th grade, um, my brother, who was a senior, um, we, we literally, it was like, it was, it was awesome. We we won sectionals and, and regionals, and we went to the state tournament um, in, up in Chicago, Illinois. And we, there was a state tournament of, of several teams, and we made it to the championship game. And in the championship game, in the final minute, um, I shot. I had a horrible game. I shot um, in the final minute and made a shot to make us go on to win the state championship. Right? That's fun. Let's, let's, well, let's, talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Clap more. That's good. That's, I like that. It makes me feel all good inside, right? So then I was a senior, 
I was a senior, and um, I had a little bit of a, bit of a mishap. When I was a senior, um, I got in trouble, um, which was a big deal. And the way that they punished me in, in small little church, they called a meeting and uh, decided that I couldn't play uh, the rest of the year. Uh, unless, uh, unless we made the playoffs, then I could play, I could play in the playoffs uh, my senior year. I'm not, I'm not bitter at all about that, but uh, like this is, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like, like uh, where am I going? Oh, okay, yeah. So, so the bitterness took over for a moment. We don't want to talk about what that mishap was because that was a defining moment in my life. Uh, but all in all, we went to the playoffs, won regionals, sectionals, went to the state tournament, got to the state championship game again. Final seconds. We're down by two. I have the ball. Top of the key. We need a three-pointer. I shoot a three off the rim. Buzzer sounds. Game over. My illustrious career in a small podunk, a Southern Illinois Christian school farm ball is done, right? <laughs> Uh, I, and truthfully, like, I don't really dwell on that. Like, it's not, you know me, I like not take that serious at all. But telling these two stories to my kids, I tuck them in at night, we pray, we cuddle, we do whatever. And when I walk out of the room, almost every time it's like, Dad, tell us a story. And usually I'm like thinking of like some goofy story. And before I even think of the story, they want to hear about that. And I'm always like, let's talk about the 10th grade shot when it made. And you want to talk constantly about the shot I missed. They're like, I want to know, like, like what, was, what was it like? Like, like, did they not get the rebound? Like, was it like, what, like were your teammates mad? Did your coach, did they throw you across the room? Like, like what were you, did you cry? Like, what was, what was, the, what was the feeling? They want to know all about that defining moment because they know that those defining moments actually have a deeper impact on your life than even the shots that you make. And so, for Peter, I would argue that those moments in his life that were defining were the moments of the shots that he missed. It wasn't the, the sophomore year shot, it was the senior year shot. It was the one he had to live with. It's the one he couldn't necessarily undo. It was the one he couldn't necessarily go back and redo. It wasn't the one that God could like, rewind time and, and have him do it over. But God did something better. God did this thing with those missed shots. He did this thing, the most incredible word in the English language. I, I'm, I don't know about that, but I think one of the most incredible words in the English language is this. Redeem. <laughs> wow. Redeem. Redeem is to like take something and to validate it. It's to not just undo it as if it didn't happen. It's to take it and to make it completely whole. To take what's broken and to make it meaningful. To take what's hurtful and to make a purpose out of it. To take what's wrecked you and to make a plan out of it. To take a roadblock and build a bridge over it. And actually use that bridge as a, remor a memorial of what God had done. And then it's not about your road, it's about God's road. And like, he did that all over the place with Peter. Yeah, all over the place with Peter. So the defining moments in Acts 10, 11, and 12 for Peter and on the rest of his life, like honestly, let's just park that today. Let's, let's park 
what Peter did as a pioneer for the vintage church. And let's dive deep into today, into the man, to the boy, to the soul that Peter was. Why did God give us Peter? <laughs> anybody, anybody ever wondered that? Like, this, this is the reason. God gave us Peter so that he can show you and teach you that um, it's okay to mess up. Because redeeming is better. To be redeemed is better. Justification is better. Justification, it's a big word in the New Testament. A lot of, like growing up, a lot of times they'd say, all right, justification means uh, it's just as if you didn't sin. And, and I, I get the, the words, the play on words, justification means just as if you didn't sin. But it's actually so wrong. Justification is the realization that you've sinned and that he's completely forgiven you by taking the punishment for your sin on the cross and then rising from your sin through his resurrection and then handing you the keys to eternal life through relationship and love that's completely agape, perfect love. That's better. And so uh, I feel strongly that today, conduit, you need to hear this. That Peter... It's not just some random guy that if you Googled Peter and hit images, you'd see all these horrible, horrible paintings of funny Pope hats and maybe a young or an older like holding a Bible that's so big, like he's looking off um, into the sky. Like this was a man. This was a boy that actually was defined by many, many missed shots. Peter was born in a city, in a town called Bethsaida, which was on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, um, coastal town, pretty typical. Um, he actually grew up and lived most of his life in Capernaum, uh, not too far, but also on the Sea of Galilee. So he essentially grew up on the water. And back then, obviously, similar to even now, like when you're in a coastal city, so much trade and so much um, commerce and recreation and everything revolves around the location that you, that you live. So this was no different for Peter. And so he learned to fish from an early age. Like that was a part of their life. Like not only their diet, but it was a part of their way of life. It was how they made money. Um, it's how their family probably made money. It's how their neighbors probably made a lot of money. As they went out on this amazing the Sea of Galilee and they caught fish. And they sold fish and they ate fish. It was a part of life. Boats were a part of life. Not speed boats, but boats that were blown around with sails. That were um, directed around to the right spots to be able to catch the right catch of fish. But don't forget that... Um, Capernaum or Bethsaida, Sea of Galilee region, the, the, the Galilee region, was still first century Jewish culture for Peter growing up. In any first century Jewish culture, the, back then, their education was uh, in a lot of ways similar to ours. Like for us, it's normal for you to go to kindergarten and, or, or preschool and first grade, second grade, third grade, and there's this process even through homeschool or private school 
there's still this process, maybe not marked the same way, but it's still this process of learning, of learning your numbers and your letters and learning sentences and reading and, and learning math and, and, and then on and on algebra and geometry and, like, and, and geography. Learning all these things, there's this process of learning. For them, their process of learning wasn't necessarily excluding a lot of that, but a lot of the emphasis that they learned was through the Jewish faith. Through the one true God. Because again, for them, like, faith in the one true God wasn't just like something they did on Sundays. This was every day of their life. It was a part of their life, whether they liked it or not. Like it was, they were consumed in it. So literally, like, a, a young Peter, a young Jewish boy, would have, it wouldn't be surprising for him to learn the entire law or, or even a huge section of it memorized. Take your Bible. Like, there's like sec- like the section memorized, knowing it backwards and forwards and what it means and the commandments of the Lord, um, the goodness of the Lord, the direction of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the creation of God and how we got here. Like that was so ingrained in their society to the point where for them, the, the, the Harvard, the um, I'm going to make it big, the the MBA, the, the thing that everyone shot for in Jewish culture was to teach that law, to be a teacher of the law. The, the, this, a lot of times, uh, uh, specifically what they were shooting for was, was to be a rabbi. That was what they had shot for. And to follow a rabbi, or at least to be a part of that white-collar perspective of teaching the word, versus a trade, a blue-collar, a, a something that they would do with their hands, something that they would do with the sweat of their brow, where they would build things, that they would construct things, that they would be a carpenter, or they would be a fisherman. And so a lot of this, just like our culture, is a lot of it's figured out by the time you're, you're like, for them, like 12. Because if you did not get chosen by a rabbi by a teacher to, to be able to follow him, to be as like his panwan is like his, his part of his class. If you didn't get chosen, that was certainly a part of life, and you would go find a trade, and you'd live a great life by providing for your family in that, in that way. So, if Peter at this point is in his mid-late teens, maybe early 20s, and he's approached by Jesus to come follow him, to be his disciple, it means that he missed the cut. It means that he is already on the path down that road. He's a fisherman. And he's not complaining. In fact, I would argue that for Peter, um, we're, we're getting to John 21, I would argue for Peter that, that this was his way of life. It was something he felt so comfortable. This is what he knows. This is what he's good at. This is what he makes money with. Like, this is his trade. This is his craft. It's not just a clock in, clock out thing. This is like his way of life. So he's totally okay with it. But we also need to recognize the fact that what first century Jewish boy was shooting for was missed. It was missed. He didn't get chosen. So he had a brother. Peter had a brother um, named Andrew. And Andrew was, was asked to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And after Jesus had asked Andrew, he asked his brother Peter to follow. Simon Peter. Cephas. Um, to follow. To be one of the twelve. To be one of the followers of Jesus. 
Um, if I could describe Peter in two words, three words, I would say that he is strong-willed, willing, but most obviously he is impulsive. Impulsive. So let's just take a few moments before we end and we, let's dive deep on the impulsiveness of Peter. Um, what are, throw out some stories, Peter, that you're familiar with. What, what do you know about Peter? What's a story? Okay, cut off an ear. So, let's start with the ear thing. So he first, um, so, so, so Jesus asked Peter to be one of his disciples, and for three years, Peter followed Jesus. He followed in the dust of that rabbi, Jesus being rabbi. In fact, that's what they called him a lot of times, Lord, meaning master, rabbi, teacher, like, that was the words that they used for Jesus. So when they followed him, he, like, for Peter, when he dropped his nets, when he quit fishing, he left to go and follow rabbi. He's like, here's my chance. I'm going. This is it. I, I missed the cut. Now it's not too late. I got another chance, and I'm going after. And so he began to follow him during three years of ministry. And the ultimate purpose of Peter's life is to, to be, like, he's not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. And so when Jesus came and he lived a life, he lived a perfect life, a blameless life, he healed, he declared, he preached the kingdom of heaven, he declared the way, the truth, the life. He was the way, the truth, the life. He had the last moments of, of Jesus' life as we walk, getting ready to walk through this with Easter week. Um, we're diving into these specifics, but here we are, it's the Last Supper, and Peter, um, Jesus says something essentially about him being uh, killed or about Peter following him. And Peter's response is, I'll follow you, Jesus, even if I have to die for you. <laughs> like, he's so impulsive and he's so committed to Jesus with his words. So, hours later, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and... Uh, Jesus says, all right, disciples, I want you guys to wait here, and I want you to pray. Just pray. Like, seek the Lord right now. Tarry with him. Like, just be with him. And then Jesus goes over by himself, and he begins to pray to his heavenly Father, and he understands that his hour has come. He understands that it's about, he's about to go to be arrested and to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed by Judas and to the point where he recognizes that this cup is too much to bear and he asks God, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will. And he submits himself even that moment verbally with drops of sweat that turned to blood. He was in so much anguish of what was about to happen. The weight of the sin of the world was put on him. And in that, he gets up, and he sees these disciples sleeping. Peter was so tired. I mean, his belly was full, and he was impulsive to even sleep. But then here comes the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, the Jewish leadership, coming down to arrest Jesus. 
led by Judas, led by one of the disciples that Jesus had chosen to follow him, but yet Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, sold Jesus out, and they brought, he brought him them to Jesus. So this is the, the story of the ear being cut off. And so these guys come, and one of the accounts of the gospel, it, they, they said, are you Jesus? And Jesus says, I am he. And in one of the accounts, they all fall down. By him saying, I am he. But, but then they miraculously, they just stand back up. They're like, oh, back to business. You know, and they get their handcuffs out, essentially, or their chains out. And they begin to arrest Jesus. Peter is so impulsive. Peter is so focused of love, of what, who Jesus was, and his love for him, that he literally got his sword out, and he went after the guy, one of the soldiers, named Malchus. And he goes over to him, and he swipes the sword at him, and he cuts his ear off. Ear bounces on the ground. Jesus' response is, Peter, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And he picks Jesus. Like, he's probably got half of his chains on, but maybe a free hand. Picks up the ear, and he puts it back on the soldier, by which is about to arrest him. Puts it on his ear, and heals it. And everyone is amazed. And Peter's like, what? What's happening? You're going to let him arrest you? Like, I, this, is, this is the motto of Peter's life. You ready? This is the motto, motto of Peter's life. I got this. I got this. It carries out through this story. Peter, in this moment, he's like, I got this, Jesus. Ah, there goes your ear, man. Run, Jesus. Why aren't you running? Okay, now you're healing. Okay, that's embarrassing. Like, he's, he's at this point where he just does not know what to do other than just be impulsive. To just go. Like, he doesn't even know that the, there's water in the pool, so to speak. But he's already, half, he's in midair. He's just so impulsive to what God has laid out. Like, Peter is so committed, but so impulsive. Now, there, there's, a, there's a positive part to, to being impulsive. And God used Peter being impulsive. And part of it, what, like, why does God go after Peter over and over and over and over and over? It's because I think he's actually, like, Peter's so impulsive Peter's actually the one that will actually go. Peter's the one that will actually be, like, he'll do it. And so in this story, or in the story of, of Peter walking on the water, Jesus comes walking on the water to the disciples who are in the boat. Jesus is out there, and Peter's first response is, can I come? Can I do that? Can I try that? Can I hold that? Can I do that? And like, he's already, like, can I come? Can I, can I, can I, can I? And his foot's already coming up. Like, he's ready to go. And Jesus is like, all right, Peter, come on. So Peter does, and he steps out. And he does it, and he walks on the water. And his impulsive nature, I'm walking on water. Oh, there's waves. Okay. Oh, you know, like, and he begins to go down into the water. Like, this is his impulsive nature. And Jesus saves him, and he brings him up, and he, he exhorts him, and he says, where is your faith? And, and he uses Peter as an example. In fact, uh, one, one time, Jesus actually, in Jesus, or Peter's impulsive nature, <laughs> Jesus actually calls Peter Satan. <laughs> he's like, get behind me, Satan. Like, he's confronting and exhorting what he has to say. 
He's not picking on Peter. He's simply calling out his impulsiveness. But God takes his impulsive nature and he redeems it. He redeems it. Who here has some things that need redeemed? Like who you are, what you quickly run to. He didn't just want to like rewind time as if that didn't happen. He actually wants to take that and redeem that. He wants to take that and use that. He wants to take that and make your life, make your, even your missed shots, your testimony to testify to this risen king. That's what he did with Peter, walking on water, cutting off the ear. He even used Peter as an example that he said, Peter, because you have declared that I'm the son of God and because you have declared that this is the, the, the direction that we were going um, for the, the sins of the world, I'm declaring that you are the rock by which we will build my church on. So, so like we're beating up on Peter quite a bit, but understand that Jesus keeps running after him. He's made some major, major mistakes. Um, I remember about, this is like the most extreme example. I, I remember about, oh, it was probably 10 years ago, there was a pastor, um, a well-known pastor um, named Ted Haggard. Um, I don't know if you remember him. He was out in Colorado, and he had this huge church and great influence and great ministry. He's well-established, and um, there was this, and I'm not making this up, there was a, a, a male um, escort, a male prostitute that went on, on the news and declared that he was having a relationship with this guy. And, um, of course, Ted Haggard was, um, it was being brought in the news because um, he had been a spokesman for um, a traditional marriage, and so obviously this guy was like, wait, this guy's being a hypocrite, so he was calling him out for it. And so Ted Haggard was confronted, and he, um, he said, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. But before a couple months, he actually admitted to it. And it wasn't so much that he admitted to that relationship as he also admitted to buying um, illicit drugs um, from him as well. And so this, it totally shattered that man's integrity and shattered in turn that, that ministry and, and that, that thing. And so he, it was, it was like one of those like, oh my goodness, whoa. But I'll never forget, and why I'm bringing this up, is he, years later, he was being interviewed by it was like Today Show or Good Morning America or something like that. He was being interviewed, and he said something that I will never forget as long as I live. He talked about how he had followed Jesus his whole life um, and, and, and truly had a relationship and had major deep, deep struggles and still does. And he had, um, I guess he had restored his marriage and, and had completely repented and he completely made things right and, and restoring his life and, and, and getting his family back. And he was just communicating. He's like, all my life, I felt like I was pursuing Jesus, like I was going after him, I was learning him, I, I, I was my, my whole life. He's like, and it was the first time in my whole life when I fell so hard. He says, it was the first time that I felt like God was chasing me. Imagine that. His whole life was consumed with his love for God. That he, stopped, he forgot to stop and take a drink of God's love for him. And maybe you're at that spot today. We come in and we uh, worship and we stand and we sing 
and we say, God, I love you so much, and, and man, you paid it all, and you're so good to me, and you're like thinking through, like processing your life, processing your shortcomings, you're processing where you failed, and you're, you're confessing, and this amazing transaction happens in worship, or in your life, you're driving the car, you're hearing a song, you're thinking about, like, you're connecting with God, and you're focusing on your love for him, and you're confessing your love for him, which is so important, and it's so valid, and so good, but you've missed the point. It's as if when we sing in worship, when we sing to God, it's almost as if sometimes he's like, hey, 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 shh, 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 just shh, shh, shh. Can I sing my love for you? Like you're looking at a cross, like it represents my love, my perfect love for you. Like stop thinking about your love for me for a moment and drink from the love that I have for you. And this is the story of Peter. Peter, the night that Jesus was arrested, shortly after he cut off that guy's ear, um, he, uh, Jesus, one of the last things Jesus said to Peter, he's like, actually, um, I'm just going to prophesy to you, Peter, that before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. What? I will never deny you. Jesus is arrested. Peter is confronted. And imagine the melee, the fear. Like, he had, he had left what he had known. He had left fishing. And he went to something by faith he didn't know. He walked on water. He saw people healed. He walked with the Son of God. And now, physically, that the Son, everything that he, the Savior of the world is taken, and he is filled with this fear that he doesn't know what to do with, and he's confronted, hey, you're Peter, you're one of the ones that, 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 that go with Jesus, and he's like, nope, not me, I don't know who you're, what you're looking for, that's not, not me. Again, he was confronted, uh, you're, you're the one that follows Jesus, right? Nope, nope, not me. Denies him twice. Servant girl confronts him. Hey, think about this. This mountain of a man that walked with the Son of God, he's done all these things, and this servant girl confronts him. Hey, aren't you, aren't you with, with Jesus? I don't even know the man. And he breaks. It's as if he could see the eyes of Jesus staring into his soul. And you know the story. Jesus is arrested and crucified and beaten. Dies. Dies for the sins of the world. Dies for the Peter sin. Three days later, rises from the dead. He starts to appear to different of his disciples and appearing to over a period of 40 days, appearing to over 500 witnesses. But what did Peter do? When he heard that rooster crow, he essentially went to a place that he knew. He essentially went to a place that was comfortable. He went fishing. I don't know where to go anymore. So I'm going to go back to what I do know. I'm going to slip back into what's comfortable. I'm going to slip back where I'll be left alone. I'm going to slip back where I don't have to be confronted. I'm going to slip back 
where it's safe. I'm going to slip back. I'm going to go to the place that I know. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Because, like, it's a way of life. It's what he knows. It's all I know. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. He's justifying all this. Forgetting Jesus. Forgetting his love. Sorry it took so long. John 21. I still got another hour and a half, so we're good, guys. Um, Here we are. John 21. Jesus appears to the seven disciples after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the others of the disciples, they were there together. Now at this point, what, what is Peter labeled? A quitter? Certainly not a leader, right? Simon Peter said to them, uh, and this is not words, this is reality. This was his heart. This was his life. I am going fishing. I'm gone. I'm leaving that way of life. In the practical sense, they said to him, (laughs) the disciples, we'll go with you. Now, did they go with him because they wanted fish? Maybe. Did they go with him because they needed to make a buck? Maybe. Did they go with him because they sensed, they could smell the despair of Peter's betrayal? Could they sense that Peter is full of death and that Peter has given up? See how important it is to be with those that believe in you, that will go with you, even when you are not where you need to be? I will go, we will go with you. Um, they went out and they went into the boat, but they went out that night and they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, so now it's the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They didn't know. Um, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, why don't you try to cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish there. And so they did. They cast it on that side, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You talk about a backseat driver, like a shoreline fisherman. Is that, is that even a thing? But, like, that's literally what was happening. Like, you guys aren't, you're not catching any fish. You're not doing it right. Like, try the other side. And then they got so many fish, they didn't know what to do with. They couldn't even haul it in. The disciple that Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, Peter, it is the Lord. It's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Why did he throw himself into the sea? I don't, like, I don't know. I wish I could see, like, the YouTube video of this or something. Like, did he throw himself into the sea because he's like, fine, I'm done. I'm, I'm gone. Like, like, I'm just, I can't live anymore. Or, or like I've seen in some uh, uh, 
films of this is it, and I think that maybe this was it, that Peter was so filled with excitement that Jesus was alive and that he's seeing Jesus and he's so impulsive that he's jumped. Like Jesus was there, he's like, ah, it's the Lord! And he jumps towards him. And then as soon as that water hits him, as the cold hits him, he's so impulsive that he forgot his own sin. <laughs> he forgot, he's like, oh, shoot. All right, uh, I forgot it was awkward. Like I totally betrayed and denied. Like what was it like? So the story goes on how they get to the beach, and uh, when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore, full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was torn. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, and he took bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. So he had not addressed with Peter yet that this, this, this like the elephant in the room, that he had denied him three times, that he had left him, that he had left that way of life suddenly. Think about it. Think about everything you know about the, the, the Easter week, about Jesus and dying on the cross and rising, like that whole bit. Peter is not there. The guy that was there, he's in the middle of all those stories. He's like the, the impulsive, strong-willed guy. Like he's the first one with his hand. No, not even hand raised. He just blurts out the answer. He's like that student. He's like, I, I, I got this. I, got, I, got, I know it all. Like I got the answer. I'll, let me try. I got this. Yeah, like let, let's, this is my thing. Like this is this, my whole life. I got this. But now for this period of time, the most important period of time, Peter was not there. He has not got this. Peter was gone. And this elephant in the room is now being brought when Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon Peter, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If you just give me a couple minutes here, I want to explain this part. Jesus asks Peter, they're sitting around a fire, and like all the disciples are out there eating, they're eating breakfast. And there's an elephant in the room. It's kind of like when you've been in a conversation or like work situation or home situation. Like there's a couple people they're like odds, and you're just like, and like there's, they starting to talk, and you're just like, like the hair on the back of your head's like, okay, this is awkward. And you're like, oh, I'm going to slip out. Just I'm be over here for a minute. Like, there's just that spot. When Jesus said Simon Peter, I can imagine, like, the disciples being like, let's, let's, get, let's get out of it. And so now I imagine that Peter and Jesus are sitting there talking. And the emotion's high because of all that's happened. But Jesus is so filled with love, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah. But, but I want to just stop for a second, and, and I want to ask you, or, or I want to tell you that 
He says, do you love me? He asked it three times. The, the Bible that you hold in your hand is, um, the Old Testament was written in a language uh, called Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in the original language in Greek. Um, and so the English translation you have is a translation, an English translation of these original languages. And so the word love that Jesus says and the word love that Peter says, two different words. Peter says, or excuse me, Jesus says, Peter, do you love, do you agape? That's the Greek word. Do you agape me? What is agape love? Agape love is a perfect love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that's not about the person that's showing the love. It's about the person receiving love. That's agape love. It's the, it's the perfect kind of love. But Peter's response is, you know I love you. You know that I phileo. Phileo is the word for Peter's love. Phileo means brotherly love. It means a human love. It's my ability love. And so he says, you know I love you. Jesus says again, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Jesus, you know that I phileo you. Third time. This time, Jesus says, do you phileo love me? And it grieved Peter. Get this. When Jesus says, wait, you brotherly love me? Peter's response says that he was grieved. That word in the Greek is lupeo. Peter was lupeo. Lupeo means to be exceedingly sorry. Broken. Because he realized he had asked him three times. And Peter in that moment realized that he had denied him three times. Jesus was redeeming Peter's missed shot. He wasn't ignoring it. He wasn't pretending it didn't happen. He was bringing it to the forefront and he was bringing it out with an agape, unconditional love. That this love I have for you, Peter, isn't about you denying me three times. It's so much so I'm going to ask you three times so that it redeems each time that you denied me. Jesus is going after Peter's heart. Peter was being asked after he was, if you love me, Jesus' response every time was, feed my sheep. It's a figure of speech for Peter being the, the shepherd of God's people, um, not just in that moment, but in all moments. And Jesus knew that this was yet personal and this was professional. Jesus was saying, Peter, do you love me like a brotherly love, like a human kind of love, like a love that you're loving me from the ability that you have? And Jesus is exhorting and confronting him and saying that the only way that you're going to be able to love and feed my sheep is through an agape, unconditional, perfect love. And from a pastor's heart to, my, to you guys, I, I have to confess 
that it's so easy to love you, phileo. Love you based on what you've done or not done. It's our human nature. And that's essentially Peter's moment to say, I got this, yeah, of course, I got this. I'm going to love you, God. I, I always, yeah, you know I, phileo. You know I love you because I got this. And Jesus is saying, you can't love me with your strength. You have to love me with an agape, perfect strength. Peter knows it's impossible unless he has God's love to give. He can't love other people. I can't love you. I can't love anyone with a perfect, unconditional love on my own. I can't say, I got this. I can't. Peter, at the end of his life, it's about 68 years old, he was crucified just like Jesus. He requested that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way that his Savior was. And Peter, in all his strength and all he had done, all his defining moments, good and not missed shots and made shots, um, he couldn't say, I got this anymore. The only thing he could say is, I got Jesus. I don't got it, but I got Jesus. And that's what Jesus was trying to bring to him at the, or at the beach. It's like, you, got, you don't have anything to give unless it's for me. So what relationships do you have? God's like asking you to step out and to love. And he's not saying, don't, don't phileo love. Don't love in your own ability. Don't even claim that you got this because you don't. You're not going to be able to feed my sheep. You're not going to be able to love them. You have to love them with an agape kind of love, the love that only I can give, the love that only Jesus was offering to Peter at that moment. This was professional, but this was extremely personal. So here's the heart of why I live. Here's the heart of why we do and want to do and you want to do ministry is this. I, can only, I guess I can only speak for myself. Here's my heart. I feel like there's tons of people out fishing. And maybe you're here today um, and your soul is out fishing. You slip back into what's comfortable. You were moving forward. I mean, you were, you were learning and you were growing and you were, you, were, you were launching out to what God had called you to be and, and who he had called you to be and, 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 and to love others the way that, that he, is, he has empowered you to love. But something happened. You denied, you, you, you tripped, fell. You did not perform to the level you, that you wanted to perform. And so therefore, your phileo love level was like nilch. It was not up to par. And your performance of your phileo love was completely paralyzing. And you began to go fishing. And my encouragement, my challenge, my my heart to you today is to drop your nets, to come to the beach, and to let Jesus remind you that his love for you is way more important initially than your love for him. I want your focus today. Your love for him is so important. And it propels you. And it, his love constrains you and it compels you to so many things. But he loved you first. He loved you first. The best depiction and picture of 
Agape love is Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're a sinner here today. You've messed up big time. Guess what? Jesus loves you and he died for you and he came to meet you at the beach. He didn't say, okay, Peter, sending you a Pony Express telegram text. Meet me at the temple in the Holy of Holies and let's talk about what you've done. He goes to his boat. He went to the place that he ran to. He went to the place that he gave up and went to. He went to the comfortable, dark place and he met him there. And he redeemed and he undid the three things that he did wrong. And he met him his heart where Jesus was and he offered that grace to him. And he wants to do the same to you today. Seeing a lot of head nods. It's awesome. So will you get up? The story ends. Jesus says, Peter, follow me. And he did. And the world was forever changed. The story doesn't just end with you feeling better. The story doesn't end with just you knowing God's love. It's you being filled with the agape love and for you to display it through being on mission in your home, in this church, and in this city, and in this community. Get up. It's time for you to like get off the high horse of your own pity or the, the own um, despair that you feel in so often. You're forgiven. You're free. He didn't put you here just so you could wallow around. He put you here for a purpose, for a reason. He's wired you in a way to get up and to lead and to be a pioneer in this church, to be a pioneer in this community. He meets you where you're at. If this morning you need reminded of God's goodness and his love for you, we'd love to pray for you. Up here, we'd love to talk with you. And if you know that, I got it, Corey, shut it down, land the plane, then get up and go. Get up and live what God has called you to do, what he's called you to be, and pioneer the way he's asked you to pioneer. Would you stand as we pray? God, I thank you for your grace that meets us right where we're at. It meets us right where you need us, right where we need you. You loved us first. So we will respond to love. You've redeemed us. Thank you.